Okay. The parsha is a, and the parsha, of course, presents us with an interesting dilemma. If you look at the psukim on the sheet, we see these psukim are not so much about tzedakah uh, as they are about poverty. And poverty today is an interesting topic. You know, everybody has some idea about doing away with poverty. The Torah says this, Shemitah. Shemitah comes up once in seven years. You know that the idea or the, 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 the topic Shemitah is mentioned several places in the Torah. And this is the Dvarim place in which it's mentioned. Shemitah is first mentioned in the parasha of Mishpatim. And then it's mentioned in the parasha of Bahar. And now it's mentioned again in the parasha of Re'eh. So the Shemitah that we're talking about is not the Shemitah we usually are talking about, which is Shemitat Karkaot. The Shemitah that rela- relates to the ground. And you know that uh, fruits and vegetables and uh, things that grow on trees are all somehow liable to the laws of Shemitah. And uh, we in Eretz Israel, who try uh, in one way or the other, I think most religious people today try to keep Shemitah on a somewhat higher level. There was a time when uh, keeping Shemitah in Eretz Yisrael was impossible, and that's when the Heter Mechira, the famous Heter Mechira, came into, uh, into existence. And the Heter Mechira was truly a Heter given by the great poskim of that age. This was not just something that people thought of in an idle or disrespectful fashion. But over the years, since the end of the 19th century until the beginning of the 21st century, it became clear to many, many religious people, independent of the kind of yarmulke that they happened to be wearing, that it was possible to keep Shemitah in Eretz Yisrael today, to some extent, without depending on the Heter Mechira. And uh, and an attempt is made all the time. An attempt is made uh, all the time to uh, keep Shemitah in a manner which is more um, in line with what the Torah seems to want. And even though most poskim agree that Shemitah is only Midrabanan Bizman Hazeh, which should mean that it's a less uh, oppressive kind of a prohibition, Nevertheless, for a variety of reasons, some of them halachic, some of them social, some of them the result of tension between different kinds of people who are always saying that we are right, uh, we've all accepted the idea that, uh, well, I wouldn't say we all, but many religious people, religious Jews, halachic Jews, 
have accepted the notion that uh, Shemitah should be kept with greater concern than just signing everything over to a non-Jew and being done with it. Even though, as I stress, the Heter Mechira is a reputable Heter. It's not the Heter that somebody thought of without thinking too much about it. Not at all. And long before Rav Cook put his intellectual imprimatur on the Heter Mechira, there was a Heter Mechira, which was uh, maintained in Eretz Yisrael. And that, uh, you know, and that Heter Mechira usually came with the proviso, right, the original Matirim, they all said that the Heter is for one Shemitah and they hope that they won't have to use it again and that was the position of Rav Cook as well. But the Heter was not the optimal uh, way of keeping um, Shemitah but it was uh, something you did because there was no choice. Because there was no choice. Today, there is a choice. Even though today the choice is mixed in with certain political questions which sometimes are very um, important, although in this case, I don't really understand them. But, you know, no one understands everything. I certainly don't understand the political conditions. But all of this to say that that's not what the Psukim are talking about. There's another Shemitah, and that Shemitah is called Shemitat Ksafim. Right? The Shemitah that, that has to do with debts. And uh, most of the Achronim agree, most Rishonim agree, that uh, while there's a machloket about whether Shemitat Ksafim takes perfect on the first day of the Shemitah year, or on the last day of the Shemitah year, we generally paskin that it's on the last day of the Shemitah year, so that if you have an outstanding debt, if somebody owes you money, that's what it means. I know this is like unlikely, but uh, it seems to be true, at least in the case of banks. Uh, if somebody owes you money, and uh, you uh, uh, the, the debt is canceled automatically. That's what the terrorist says. I mean, there's ne- never been social action of such an overwhelming uh, kind. Uh, even suggested, I mean, can you imagine all the debts? I mean, I keep saying that that's what they should do to the banks. But, I mean, they do the, do that to the banks, but only for very rich people. They don't do it for poor people. Poor people have to pay up. Rich people, if you can borrow like a hundred million dollars from the bank, of course you're not going to pay it back if you default on the loan. I mean, if your business goes belly up, that's it. But if you borrow $10 from the bank, they'll get you. You won't be able to move without paying those $10 plus costs. Right? That's, uh, so that's how banks work. So this, here we're talking about the Shemitah, which is called Shemitat Ksafim. That there's a great equalizer, the Torah says, called the cancellation of debts, which we do today. It's true that there is an antidote to the cancellation of debts, and that antidote is called the Prusbul. And the Prusbul is a, is a document that overrides somehow the original agreement that the debt would be canceled at, um, 
at the end of the Shemitah year. So what you have to do this year, if you know that somebody owes you money, is write a prusible. A prusible is a one-sided document in which you say that uh, uh, that you are willing to forfeit the rights that the Torah gives you and uh, you'll pay the debt after the Shemitah year is over. And you do this by transferring the debt to the Beit Din. I mean, it's it's not uh, so important for us right now to, to go through these details, but there's some method by which Chachamim decided that you could trick the law. Imagine that. And you could trick the law, and, and you transfer the debt to the Beit Din, and the Beit Din is not decided in Shemitah, and therefore even after the Shemitah year is over, right, this year, which is Aleph Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, you'll be able to claim the debt uh, again. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. Then the Pasuk says, Pasuk Gimel Tanachriti Gos, V'asher Yelcha Tachirat Hashmet Yedecha. In other words, Tigos is a word for taking uh, a rebeat and uh, and Tashmet Yadecha is also a word that has something to do with uh, with loans and interest. Efes, and here we come to the Pasuk that we are so interested in. Because we all have social consciousness. And we're all interested in making things good. And we just can't figure out how to do it. But we would like it to happen. I mean, I'd like it to happen, and I would like Bill Gates to pay for it. I mean, that's what I would like. But, but uh, you know, somehow Bill Gates keeps getting richer and the poor people are still poor. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly why that doesn't work. Efes. Ki lo yebecha evion. Ki barech yevarechecha Hashem v'aretz asher Hashem elokecho notein lecha nachala lirishta. Efes. Efes means... Well, it means whatever it means in modern Hebrew, but it means very. It means like exclamation point, right? Eves kilo Like you do this, you work out, you do your economic life by not taking interest from your fellow and by canceling the debts at the end of the shemitah year. And lo evion. Because it's not simply the result of an economic theory. It's not like if you, if you do this, then everybody will be happy. But it's rather that God will bless you. In the land that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you, this is a formula that comes up again and again in the book of Dvarim. Which means that to some extent, a greater extent or a lesser extent, mitzvot work in Eretz Yisrael better than or exclusively rather than in the diaspora in Chutzlaretz. That's what the Pasuk says. <laughs> It was if you do what you're supposed to do, you get bracha. So you could take, you could you could deal economically with the nations of the world in one way, but a different way internally amongst the Jewish people. 
He says, what happens if a poor... We just solved the problem of poverty. I mean, I just want you to, uh, to understand that if you follow the rules of Shemitah and you follow the rules of interest, which means you cancel the debt at the end of seven years, and it means that you don't give or take interest from Jews then you've solved the problem of poverty. And the reason that you've solved the problem of poverty, according to the Pasuk, is not economic theory of one kind or another, but it's that God will bring bracha, will bring extra, will bring down upon you the great blessing, the great blessing. And then the Pasuk, Pasuk Zion says, Ki but if, nevertheless, after all of that, you see a poor person going around, one of your brothers, in one of your gates, in the land, So then, what might you think? You might think, oh, this, uh, this is not Stam, a poor person. This is a leper, poor person. This is a really bad poor person. You say, what did I do? I, I, I kept Shemitah and I didn't take interest. And I still, there's one guy left who's poor, who didn't get the bracha that was promised from HaKadosh Baruch So you could say, so the Torah says, Even though, He's still around. Don't think that that means that you don't have to do the mitzvah in his direction. He shamer lecha, which means a lot. Ten yed davar levacha bliya lemor karvash nat hashevesh nat shmita v'ra'ayin cha be'echicha evyon lo titein lo v'kara lecha l'ashem v'aya b'chachet and don't say, as the seventh year approaches, you know that if you lend him money, you're going to lose that money, because at the end of the seventh year, the debt is going to be canceled. And you say, well, look, he's a poor guy, and he's still poor, even all the good things I've done, and all the bracha that I've wrought. So maybe this guy doesn't deserve it, so the Torah says, no, you better give him. The Torah lecha el Hashem and then, it's like we have here, like, a, like there's a kind of a conundrum here. If this guy deserves to get support, so how come he's poor? How come he didn't get support from heaven like all the other poor people? How come poverty was not wiped out with him? Huh? So my assumption is, okay, we cleaned up our act, we did it 7 years, 14 years, 50 years, that's it? That's it, if a poor person now walks into my house, I say to him, oh, it must be that you are supposed to be a poor person. So the Torah says no, that's not the way you think about it, but the way that you think about it is, that poverty has to always be eradicated. Whatever you could do to eradicate it. Now listen to the last pasuk of the page. Ki lo yechtal evyon mikeref ha'aretz. Ki lo yechtal evyon mikeref ha'aretz. In other words, there's a logical uh, 
problem that the giver has. The giver says, I've given tzedakah for so many years. And many people that I've supported have really been able to drag themselves up and live a much more reasonable kind of life. That's what he says. But this one guy, it must be his fault. So the Pasuk says, I mean, in the context of the psukim that we are learning means, look, it, it just doesn't work that way. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect thing. So that if a poor person comes and knocks on your door after 50 years of doing the right thing, so okay. So there's a person, there's a poor person left. In fact, in fact, the Torah says that the laws of physics, of the Torah, as applied to the economic realities, are that there'll always be a poor person. Somebody's going to escape the system. And therefore, since you don't know if the guy who comes and begs for money at your door is the one who escaped the bracha, or somebody who really doesn't deserve the bracha. So you have to support it. You have no choice. Because it may be that he really deserves it. So it turns out, it turns out that in this parasha, in Pasuk Dalit, where the Pasuk was talking about Shemitah, and lending money, and not lending with, with interest, the Pasuk says, Efes ki lo Surely, verily, the system is such that there will not be a poor person in your midst. Because God will bless you in the land which HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you as an inheritance. And in that land, the bracha will wipe out poverty. And then Pasuk 11 says, in spite of what I just said in Pasuk Dalid, there'll always be a poor person. A poor person. The economics says you get a little better, business will get a little worse. You know, like it's like today. You listen to the news, and the news they say, it's improved. Everything is better. Right? Everything says, how do you know? Well, there's this statistic and that statistic, the third statistic. On the other hand, poverty is on the rise. Right? These statistics have nothing to do with each other. Everything is better for those people for whom it is better. And poverty is nevertheless for those people who are poor. And then, then you go and you turn, uh, you turn off the news and you listen to some music. That's what that's how we live. So here's what the Torah says. The Torah says in Pesach Dalet, poverty is going to be wiped out. Lo yebcha evyon. A clear, definitive statement. The Pesach 11, the Torah says, ki lo yechdal evyon mikerev haaretz. That there'll always be a poor person. So Rashi tries to help us. If you look at the Rashi in Pasuk Dalit, the Rashi says, Evis ki lo yebcha evyon, ulhalanu omer, ki lo yechdal evyon. 
אלא בזמן שאתם עושים רצונו של מקום, אביונים באחרים, כלא בכם, וכשאין אתם עושים רצונו של מקום, אביונים בכם. אביון דל מעני, אביון is worse than an עני, ושאל אביון שהוא תאב לכל דבר. That's what אביון means, somebody who needs everything. Like he's not satisfied about anything. So what did Rashi say? Rashi said in the manner of learning. The way we understand, we know how the Gemara works, and sometimes the Rishonim deal with problems in this way. And they say, look, they're two psukim. The two psukim seem to be contradictory. But in fact, each of them is talking about a different situation. The first pasuk, pasuk Dalet, ki lo that pasuk is telling us about the wondrous time in Eretz Yisrael, if everybody keeps the Torah and does the mitzvot. Pasuk Yud Aleph, that says, ki lo that's talking about a different situation, where people give tzedakah. And some people even keep the rules of Shemitah. However, however, uh, uh, not all the people. I mean, you might find a similarity to Eretz Yisrael today, where there is a very strong minority that tries to keep the mitzvot, that tries to do the right thing, but there is a very sizable majority that is not so interested in the mitzvot, etc., so that uh, Eretz Yisrael today is in line with Pasuk Yud Aleph. And uh, the, the dream of Eretz Yisrael, that's in line with Pasuk Dalet. This is always a problem when we have this kind of solution. We say that, shouldn't the, Torah, shouldn't the Torah teach us the perfect case, the ultimate case? What will be if everything is perfect? And yet Rashi wants to say, now that the Torah first tells us what will be when everything is perfect, and then the Torah says, even if things are not perfect, even if things are not perfect, okay, it'll, it'll, we'll still muddle along, but there'll be poor people in Eretz Yisrael. This is the position, this is the position of Rashi, and this is the way we explain, or Rashi helped us to explain the, um, the first part of the, uh, of, of the, excuse me, what? Pasuk Hay. Pasuk Hay. What did Pasuk Hay say? Right. Yeah, I guess. That's yeah, good. But, but there's, nevertheless, there nevertheless seems to be, since they are absolute statements, in other words, Pasuk Aleph doesn't say, but if you don't keep all the mitzvot, or keep only some of the mitzvot, that category is not addressed so much in the Torah. It's certainly not in the book of Dvarim. Dvarim always speaks about, you did it right, you did it wrong. Right, and this idea, okay, there's an irani dachat, that's also in this parasha, but, but uh, um, we, we don't usually read the Torah that way. That those psukim are all cumulative. They're about everybody in B'nai Yisrael. So let's turn the page. Let's turn the page. <coughs> the Rashbam. The Rashbam 
Ephes Kilo Yebcha Evyon. Right, Pasuk Dalad, you see the Rashbam at the top of the page? Kilo Yebcha Evyon, Im Tashbet, HaKadosh Baruch Yishalem Lecha. That if you allow the cancellation of the debt, then HaKadosh Baruch will give you reward. Kilo Yebcha Evyon, that'll be the reward. But if you look at the end, Pasuk Yud Aleph, the Rashbam says, Kilo Yechtal Evyon Mikerev Haaretz. Kilo yechtal evyon mikeref ha'aretz. Listen to the Rashbam. The Rashbam says, Ki adam ain tzadik ba'aretz, asher yaseh tov lo yecheta. Okay, this is already uh, like a theological consideration. Adam ain tzadik ba'aretz, asher yaseh tov lo yecheta. In other words, pasuk dalid, according to the, according to the Rashbam, it's about a, a single person. See, Pasuk Dalid, he says, Eviski lo yebecha evyon. You. What? Right, the lender. You owe that, but it, it, it refers to a kind of a limited, a limited case. I mean, who are we talking about? The person who's lending money in Teshmet. There's some kind of a deal. So that if, if I have, if I, if I maintain the mitzvah staka, and I don't collect the debts after Shemitah. So people are going to stop knocking at my door. It has nothing to do with whether there will be poor people in the world or not. But it will mean that for me, where I am, and that where a constricted location, things will be better. Because things can be always judged. My city, my, my country, uh, my, my, uh, my continent, right? Things can be judged uh, geographically. So that may be what the Rashbab is saying. But there's no doubt that the Rashbab says, First of all, he says that the subject of the sentence is Adam. Which could be, even though it's not necessary in Hebrew, right? The word Hebrew, Adam in Hebrew could mean a singular or a plural, right? It could mean a man or it could mean man. Right, man, what does man mean in Hebrew? I mean, what does man mean in English? What does man mean in English? It could mean a man, like a particular person that you're talking about. It could also mean uh, man, the category, the, the people that we call, like not chimpanzees, but man. All of them still could be called, that could all be called man. So the Rashbam says, Adam. The Torah doesn't want to imply, either of the Torah doesn't want you to think that if you give tzedakah and you cancel the debts on the Shemitah year, that poverty is going to be wiped out. Because poverty being wiped out is dependent on the bracha that comes from HaKadosh Baruch And it depends on everybody listening and following the Torah. And since it's inconceivable that we should expect everybody to do the right thing, if they want to do the right thing, since that's all inconceivable, it's unreasonable to say, it's unreasonable to say that, that uh, uh, poverty will be extinguished. That's an unreasonable thing to say. So the Rashbam it seems to me disagrees with Rashi. Rashi seems to say it's an either-or kind of consideration. Either it works, and poverty is done away with, or it doesn't work. 
Right? Those are the two possibilities. Right? Then one possibility is for one possibility, the other possibility is another possibility. Rajbam says, it's never going to work. I mean, that we don't expect. It'll get better. Things will be better than they were. But it's not going to work in the sense that, that, uh, that the things are going to be wiped out, that there's not going to be any poverty anymore. That's not going to work. Okay. Let's look at the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra is not so easy to know exactly what the Ibn Ezra means, but if we start from the end, he says that he explains the word Evyon. You see the word Evyon? He didn't want. And therefore the Shorish of Evyon would be Aleph Bet Hey. Vatam Shumitavel Koldavar Bavur Chesrono. That he he wants things all the time. They don't like there's a difference between Ani and an Evyon. Ani doesn't have enough money. But if you give him enough money, he'll act like a normal person. And Evyon has got personality defects. He's a person who never feels that he doesn't ever have enough. He doesn't have, I mean, you, you understand, I mean, also the Gemara that uh, deals with this. Of a person, a person was very rich, and then became very poor. And when he was very rich, he used to ride in a wagon, and the wagon was pulled by four horses. So, Halacha says that this poor person deserves a wagon, and deserves four horses. Even though there are a lot of people who give charity, who don't have a wagon. And the wagon, whatever wagon they have, is not pulled by four horses. So that the Gemara recognizes the fact that poverty is psycho, is psychological. Like you're poor when you think you're poor. Right? When you think you're poor. You know the, the story about the Chavetz Chaim, which was told by other people as well, about other people as well. You know, these rich American tourists. You know about rich American tourists? You know, they're rich, and they're American, but they're not always classy. So these rich American tourists went to see the, uh, the Chavetz Chaim, and they were pulled to see how he lived. The apartment he lived in, in Rodden, he didn't have any furniture. Dian Fisher, Zichron Rocha, who was a Dian in England, told me that story, that when he came to Rodden, he was a prodigy. He came to Rodden when he was 12. So uh, the Chavis Chaim said, you can't take a 12-year-old kid and put him in the dormitory. So he lived with the Chavis Chaim. Diane Fisher said that his father was a rob in some town near Leningrad, you know, further up north. Uh, further up, if you know the map, like, it's really nowhere. He was a rob in a town that was nowhere. Big town of Chochem. But he, um, he had nothing. They were very poor. The way he puts it, Dyer Fisher said when he came to the house of the Chavetz Chaim, he understood what poverty was. Like he grew up in a house that was very poor, but he he always thought he was poor. He got to the Chavetz Chaim, he thought he was rich, because the Chavetz Chaim had nothing. He had nothing. He had he had a dirt floor in his house, you know. And on Shabbos, every Shabbos, because the Gemara says he should help out. You should help out your wife make uh, make Shabbos. This is what the Gemara says. So men have figured out 
what the least effort to prepare Shabbos might be. And they decided that it's to light the candles in advance. Can you imagine anything that takes less effort than that? They light the candles to make sure that when their wives light the candles, they'll actually stay lit. You know, in the olden times, today it's not such a big problem, but there was a time when you'd light a candle and it didn't burn. So that was a, that was a, an issue. So the Chavetz Chaim, the, the rich American tourist, came to see the Chavetz Chaim. You know, they said, they said on the, on the, uh, on the sheet, on the tour sheet that they got, they, they said, uh, visit with Holy Rabbi Chavetz Chaim. So they went to visit and they visited the Holy Rabbi and they said, uh, they, they went in the house and they, they just couldn't understand how they could live that way. So they said, look, Rabbi, we've decided we, uh, uncultured, boorish kind of American tourists, we're going to buy you a table and chairs and a couch. And so you'd have nice furniture in your house. So Chavaz Chaiva looked at that and he said, this is a famous story, Chavaz Chaiva looked at that and he said, where's your couch and your table and chairs? So they said to him, well, we have it at home. We're only tourists here in Poland. So we're going to carry our uh, tables and chairs around with us. So Chavaz Chaiva said, I'm also a tourist. In Olam Hazeh. That's what the Chavaz Chaim said. So, <coughs> I don't know what the Americans said. The story ends right at that, at that point. So in any event, an Evyon, Evyon is somebody who, who desires things. Because he has a psychological infirmity, right? He feels the lack all the time. Even though there are two people who live the same way and have the same amount of stuff, so to speak. And yet, they, they're different. They react differently to their situation. In one place, one place you have people who are full of simcha. In another place, you have people who are full of envy. And it's not something that is easy to, uh, to know in advance. It's not easy to know who's going to be the joyous Jew and who's going to be the envious Jew. It has to do with with a personality defect. That is, to be joyous is not a defect. That's, I think, the way people should be. They should be. They should be sameach bechalko. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you should think that a little money is a lot of money. But I think what it means that sameach bechalko means that that uh, everybody has the opportunity to do something good. Everybody has the opportunity to do something good. It could be when you're walking in the street and you meet somebody, or it could be when you help somebody. You do a mitzvah, you help an older older people, or you help uh, the infirm and the sick. I mean, everybody has has these opportunities all the time. So you have two kinds of people. So either have a person who will say, I mean, I'm doing a good thing, but I'd rather be saving the whole world. So he says, that's a person who's not sameach b'chelko. A person who samech bechalko is a person who sees what he is able to do as something of great significance. And if you could see that as something great, then you're going to be happy because it's like everything, everything, you know, like if there's something really important going on, you can't spend too much time on the things that are not so important. And that's what, so an evion is a person who has 
this psychological defect. Rashi mentioned it, and now the Ibn Ezra mentions it. That, uh, that, uh, that uh, because of the way, of the way we are, and the way we live, and the way sometimes we produce psychological defects in our children, which carry over, carry over into adulthood, and produce uh, very unhappy situations, right? It's always true that when somebody explains to you why they're very unhappy, you don't always understand what they're talking about. And you say, but why are you unhappy? Like, what is it? Okay, you have this difficulty, that difficulty, but everybody has difficulties. What is it that is making you so unhappy? We don't always, you don't always know that. So all of this, all of this is somehow discussed in this, um, in this parish. Now let's look at the Ramban. The Ramban has something interesting to say. I hope we'll be able to, to get through most of the Ramban. The Ramban has certain theories about the way the Torah addresses reality, which are important for us to take note of. So the Ramban says this, That there'll never be an era in history where you could point to it and say, No evyon. So it's not like the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra said, why will there always be an Evyon Ba'aretz? Because an Evyon, after all, is psychological. It doesn't make any difference what you give him, what you give the Evyon. You'll give him enough money to, to eat three meals. You'll give enough money to live in the way he was accustomed. But he becomes, he is uh, the possessor of a psychological problem that can't be dealt with. He says, That's the pasuk that was referred to previously. And therefore, and therefore there will always be an evyon. Because you can't be perfect about the demand of the Torah. The demand of the Torah is, Shema and you can't do that. So the Ramban says, In other words, according to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, if you do it, everything is perfect. But if you don't keep the Torah, it's not going to be perfect. But the Ramban himself, that's what people say. The people he's talking about might be Rashi. That might be Rashi. In you know, like one way or the other, based on that pasuk that you, that you pointed out. So the, the Gemara, the, the Ramban says this. This is a principle of the Ramban's interpretation of the Torah. And that principle is that there's a remis in the Torah. Remis means that if we knew how to read the Torah, you know, like codes, if we knew about the codes, we would know everything that's going to happen. But we don't know what the codes are of the Torah. And so the remez is only available to us after it happens. If there's, for example, the Rabban says, the Rabban says that the Torah indicates that there'll be Churban Bayit Rishon and Churban Bayit Sheini. But that doesn't mean that, that the people reading the Chumash between Churban Bayit Rishon and Bayit Sheini, they knew that there was going to be Churban Bayit Sheini, so they might as well get up and, and retire. No, they didn't know. But it's in there. There are things in the Torah that you could only see after they happen. And that's called a remez. The remez means it's an allusion to, a, to history in the future. 
But we don't know what that illusion is. So, so again he says, Now what is Yitnabe? What does the word Yitnabe mean? It's the words of a prophet. What are the words of the prophet? Clear statement about what's going to be. So he says, the nature of the Torah, the nature of the Torah is remez and not prophecy. Right? The Torah doesn't tell us what's going to be. It doesn't tell us there's going to be a Chorban by a Cheney. It doesn't say that. But it's Romez. If you learn the Torah after the fact, you'll see all of these things. So he says, he says, can't be that when the Torah says, that what the Torah means to say is that the Jewish people will never keep the Torah. That cannot be. That can't be because that would mean, that would mean, if that was the prophecy of the Torah, that would mean that it was hopeless, that the situation opened, that I have no, I can't get away from it. I have to, I have to kind of throw away the Torah a little bit. Because that's what the Torah says. So he says, that can't be. Rak b'derech azhara yeskir hadavar. But it is possible that the Torah meant to say, to warn B'nai Yisrael. As though to say, if you keep the Torah, you do what supposed to, it'll be all right. But be warned that if you don't do the Torah, keep the Torah as you should, then it's not going to be as good as it could be. Things are not going to be as good as it could be. That's what Yaskira Davar means. This is what the Pasuk means, I think. Shelo yechtal evyon. Sheyyeh nimna. Velo yimatsei od leolam. Shelo yechtal evyon. That there will always be an Evyon. And Shehiye Nimna Veloyimotse Od Leolam. You see those words? What's Loyimotse Od Leolam? What will not be there? Leolam. Forever and ever. The Evyon. Right? It, was, it means the opposite. It doesn't mean there will always be an Evyon. It means that even if there is an Evyon, you should know that there won't always be an Evyon. The Evyon will pass away. So the Rabban says this, that what the Torah means to say is 
that only in the perfect world in Eretz Yisrael and where the Shmirat HaMitzvot can we expect the result to be perfect. But even if there was a time in Eretz Yisrael where there was no Evyon, there wasn't anybody of that kind. So, uh, nevertheless, nevertheless, there could be an Evyon. There could be somebody showing up that would be... So again, the Ramban, what the Ramban is doing is sort of looking at it in a different way. He's talking like Rashi, but he's talking about it in a different way. Okay, so you have... We have Rashi, we have the Rashbam, we have the Ibn Ezra, we have the Rabban, all of whom are trying to deal with this question. Now what I'd like to do is with you look at the, at the Medrash. This Medrash, there's a very long piece that's quoted here on the sheet. I only want to deal, I, mean, I haven't got time for, for the whole thing, but it's a good, good Medrash, which you could learn. Let's look at line 71. You see at the very end of the Medrash? This is the Medrash Rabbah. The Medrash Rabbah to Dvor. This is what the Medrash says. Tani Rabbi Yeshua. Tani Rabbi is a wonderful Medrash. <laughs> For those of you who are thinking about listening. It's a wonderful Medrash. The Medrash says, Tani Rabbi Yeshua. Yoter mima shebal habayit oseim ha'ani. Ha'ani oseim bal habayit. That tzedakah has this wondrous aspect to it. And that is that when you give an ani money, you certainly are uh, doing something for him. You're rehabilitating him. You're giving him opportunities. You're sending him on a new path. I mean, you're changing his world. You're sort of, as the Baral says, you are creating him like a poor person. I mean, what does he do? He just thinks about how to get that next little bit of money together. I mean, that's all he thinks about. But you give him money, you're, you're creating him. It's a Bria Chadosha. A person who can think about new things. And along comes the Medrash. That's the Maharal. Along comes the Medrash. And the Medrash says, no matter how great you think the Tzedakah is, and this is found in the Gemara Baba Basra, Tzedakah is great, because it makes the world the way it should be. How should the world be? God created man slash woman. So we should be able to live in the world. I mean, I mean, it doesn't make sense that we were created not to be able to live in the world. It doesn't make sense to me. So it means if a person gets stuck in, person gets stuck in, you give somebody the ability to be a regular person. So you've created him. Him or her. The family, like you've, you've given them this opportunity. You give them the opportunity to learn Torah, you give them the opportunity to daven, you give them the opportunities to be a person. Along comes the Medrash, and the Medrash says, the Medrash says, Tani Rabbi Yeshua, and no matter how great you think the mitzvah of tzedakah is, no matter how great you think that the person who's giving tzedakah, his accomplishment is, ha'ani oseh imbal habayit. The ani, the poor person, does more yet to the person who gives him the money. It's not that the, 
It's not a one-sided kind of a, a transaction, but it's a two-sided transaction. And then the Medrash says, and this Medrash is also found in Megillus Rus, Shekein Rut Omeret Lina'ami. Remember, Ruth came back from the field and Naomi was asking her what happened and what, what, what did they do for you. And you know, she got, she was allowed to pick with the poor people and get enough food to eat that way. Shem ha'ish asher asiti imo hayom boaz. The man's name is Boaz. And you see what, what Ruth said? Asher asiti imo. I did for him. What was her role? She was the Evion. She was the Ani, certainly. She was taking from Boaz. She was the Evion. But when she reports back to Naomi, she says, Boaz? I did it for him. What did I do for him? He says, Asher asa'imi enktivkan. And Ruth did not say, Ruth did not say, I, he did for me. He allowed me to pick and he allowed me to take the wheat and the grain and to collect like all the other, you know, those days there were apparently clacks of poor people who were allowed, who had territory. They, this one went to this field, and that one went to that field. And Boaz allowed, allowed Ruth to collect in the field of, in his fields, even though she was new on the, on the block, so to speak. Amrala. Ruth said to Naomi, Harbei pu'ulot v'tovot asiti imo hayom. I did wondrous things for him today. Bishvil prusa shenatan li. For this, for this uh, little bit of bread that he gave, that he gave to me. So that there is a wondrous Medrash. And that Medrash tells us something about the mitzvah of tzedakah. And what the Medrash tells us about the mitzvah of tzedakah is that not only can your accomplishment be great, like you did a great thing, you made a person into a person. Can you imagine that? You changed somebody's life from misery and inability to function in Olam Hazeh to what God meant it to be. Imagine that. He says, oh, if that's the case, I mean, if that's the case, so Ruth says to, to uh, Naomi, she says, you know what that does for him? He says, forget about what it does for me. I mean, okay. It's going to make me into a person. I'm going to be able to take a, play a role. I'm going to have a part in the society. But imagine, imagine that the giver of tzedakah, the giver of tzedakah is functioning in place of the Rebbein Imagine that. 
Imagine what a difference that makes in the life, in the life of, uh, of Boaz, the giver of the tzedakah. And if we had to wonder what it was, what was God's intention that Ruth should be the father of David HaMelech? I mean, what exactly was missing? What is it that Ruth HaMoaviyah had to supply? Ruth HaMoaviyah was a giorit and impoverished. And she was recreated by this process that's told to us in in the Gilad Ruth. And not only did it make Ruth into a new person, but it made Boaz into a superior into a superior person. So there are two psukim. The first pasuk says, the first pasuk says, if you do the mitzvot, and you do everything that the Torah demands of you, poverty will surely be eliminated. Because that's brocha. That's the promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes. The second pasuk says, but don't think that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not concerned about the benefits that you may reap by having to deal with poverty. Ephes, the Torah says, Lo yechdal evyein. Right? Ephes, ki lo, I'm sorry, ki lo yechdal evyon b'keref ha'aretz. That means, not that the system doesn't work. It's not that we, the Torah could not have done away with poverty. But that poverty is an entree to humanity. It enables people. It enables people to participate in producing a humanity of significance. And so, and so HaKadosh Baruch said, don't worry. Even though there'll be a bracha, and even though the poor people basically will be wiped out and they will all be able to function in the world but I know you need it you need the evyon you need to be able to function in this way and so the Torah promises us okay that opportunity will always exist you will always be able to make yourselves more human, more significant by giving stuck to people who need it. Have a good Shabbos.